0: Welcome back ABF Online. My name is John Irwin. I'm so glad you're here to worship with us today. Hey, this is kind of a special deal. This is my last sermon as a full-time pastor here at ABF, and uh, I'm looking forward to bringing God's Word here in just a little bit. And so, hey, it might be a little sentimental, but hey, it's going to be okay. But what's more important is we want to worship God right now. Let's join in worship.
1: Hey Church, good to be with you. It's an online worship service. It's the first of the month. We're going to take communion, so stop what you're doing. Prepare some bread, prepare a cup, and be ready to take communion with us later in the service. In the meantime, let's sing one of my favorite, favorite songs. It's an absolute jam. Here we go.
2: So child
1: That last song has a great lyric. It says, No grave can hold what your grace has justified. Uh, And that is echoed in Scripture. I'm in Hebrews chapter 9, middle of part of verse 26. It says this, But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. I want you to focus this week for communion on one idea that his sacrifice on the cross was completely sufficient. There's nothing else that's needed. It's echoed in Scripture over and over his blood is sufficient, his grace is sufficient. Uh, Sometimes we have our sin, we have our regrets, and we just carry it around as if the Lord hasn't been able to forgive that. And the reality is that's just our decision because scripture says that it was once and for all. That's it. It's sufficient for you. Reach out, prepare your heart uh, to be reminded of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We're gonna sing one more song and then we'll do a little communion time.
2: Thy strength indeed is small Child of weakness, watch and break Find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all All to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain Still white as snow He washed it white crimson stain He washed it white as snow He washed it white as snow He washed it white as snow
1: This bread represents the body of Christ. It was broken, it was laid in the ground and supernaturally it was knit back together and raised to life. And scripture says when he comes back in bodily form, he is no longer needed to deal with sin. He's just coming for those who are eagerly awaiting his return, according to the scripture. Let us eat and remember the broken and resurrected body of Jesus Christ. This represents the blood that was spilled the blood that was spilt as an offering for many. And earlier in Hebrews, it says, it's not like the priests who had to keep going back year after year to atone again and again. This was the sacrifice once and for all, for everybody, for you, me, people that haven't never that haven't been born yet. His blood is sufficient. It is all-encompassing. It is the forgiveness of sins. Drink and remember the blood of Jesus.
3: Well, thank you worship team for leading us and thank you so much for joining us online. Chris here, and I have just a couple of things I'd like to bring to your attention. Uh, first off, uh, we are so thankful that uh, you have clicked on our video and, and that you're doing church with us. And uh, we love uh, to be able to do church with you. Uh, so we just hope and pray that it is a blessing for you throughout the week. Uh, well, as you know, we as a staff, we love praying for you. And uh, we would just encourage you to text your uh, confidential prayer request, your prayer requests to 97,000, uh, you can do it at any time, and uh, we would get them, we will get them, and we'll love uh, to be able to pray for you. Uh, well. There is a lot going on at Agora Bible Fellowship. A lot's happening. Uh, Tons of different ministries and weekly happenings. And if you are interested in knowing some more information or or if you would like to have more information, our website is like the best place to go. Uh, You can visit us anytime at agorabible.org. And if you're on the website, you'll notice that there is a Give tab and uh, you can make a donation there. Uh, As you know... uh, our ministries are, um, are here because of your financial generous support, and we would be so grateful if you would uh, prayerfully consider making a donation. Well, before we get into God's Word, uh, I'm going to pray for us. Well, Father, we are so grateful um, for the fact that we uh, get to send these videos out, that we get to have church with people uh, that are in different cities, different states, and throughout our country and many countries. Lord, we thank you uh, that you're a God of faithfulness and that you listen and hear us, Lord. Uh, We pray for the next few minutes as we open up your word, Lord, that you speak to us, that we hear you. And uh, make it clear to us what you want us to to get out of these next few minutes. We love you so much. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your unending love. We love you so, so much. It's your name we pray.
0: Amen. Have you ever met somebody who is just stuck? You know what I mean by stuck? This idea that whether it's emotionally, spiritually, physically, they just can't seem to get beyond their past. They're plagued with fear, paralyzed by guilt and regret, and they're possessed by bitterness. Maybe one or all three of those things. And so today in our passage in Genesis 42, I want to look at how we can get unstuck. And so our title day is Stuck, Dealing with Fear, Guilt, and Bitterness. How do we move beyond the anchor of our past to get unstuck? that's where we're headed. So get your your notes. If you don't, haven't downloaded them yet, get your notes. Get your Bibles open to Genesis 42. And we have all these little vignettes, these what I call scenes of the story that we'll look at. And we'll break it up so you can see what's going on. And uh, we'll look at the text together. Well, first of all, we see the reason and the recognition in verses 1 to 8. Let's start with the reason in verses 1 to 5. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt. He said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I've heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. So go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Now I thought there were 11. We're going to come look at that in a moment. So you can see what's going on, right? Jacob's reading uh, his version. uh, I think it's called the Egyptian times. Maybe it's Egypt today instead of USA today. And he says, hey, hey guys. He calls an emergency family meeting. Hey, I hear there's grain in Egypt. It's time to saddle up. Remember we got, remember he's got like 66 mouths to feed. It's a huge family there. And so as soon as he brings up this word Egypt, it's like these brothers go into a catatonic state. They're just staring at one another and he's going, hey, 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 what is up? Because the very mention of the word Egypt is going to invoke memories from some 22 years earlier. And I think this is the first hint that they are dealing with the guilt of what they did to their brother Joseph, who, who we may call Joe, or as Josh called him, Prison Joe. So the bottom line, he says, guys, we've got to either, either buy or die. That's the bottom line. Now, they don't seem to be worried for their life, but that is kind of a dangerous journey. It wasn't just like a one-day trip to Egypt. And so, we do see some fear, but it's not their fear. Look at, they're, they're kind of ravaged by guilt. Here's the fear piece. Look at what Jacob is going through in verses 4 and 5. But Jacob did not send Benjamin. Remember, that's a child, son number 12, Joseph's brother with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Just like what happened to Joseph, right? Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So it's in Egypt. There's famine all over the known region. It's a bad one. And so he sends the older boys, uh, but not Benji. Let's just call him Benji or Ben, right? And so uh, he's not losing his second favorite son, right? Benjamin has replaced Joseph as, as, as the favored son, And remember, his mom is Rachel, and Rachel died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. And so, he's kind of the substitute, and we can see that kind of father favoritism again, which I mentioned the last time I preached. It brings me to this question, parents. Clearly, Jacob has issues. He can't let go of the fear of losing another son. And perish the thought, maybe some of you have lost a loved one, a child uh, earlier than you should have. And it's so painful and we're not minimizing that. But uh, Jacob takes this to a whole new level. I'll mention it now, we'll mention it later. I think he's the ultimate helicopter parent. Man, he has got to be in control. And I wanna suggest to you, parents, Give your kids some space. Give them some room. Are you, are you mothering moms or are you smothering dads? Are you the drill sergeant? Are you the helicopter dad? Or can you give your kids some freedom? Uh, clearly Jacob couldn't. And so the whole region's headed down there to buy this grain. And I think as they're on their way, every mile, I wonder if that guilt grows by the minute. As they go towards Egypt, I I wonder if they begin to say to themselves, I I wonder what happened to Joseph? Because the last scene, remember, they've sold him off to some slave traders headed to Egypt. Now, there's this recognition piece. Look at what happens in verse 6. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. This has got to be, this is epic if you're a filmmaker. Joseph's the governor over the land, and he is the one who sold to all the people of the land. He's the guy who's distributing the food. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. This is too funny think about it. Joseph has been promoted to be prime minister. He's literally got the ATM card of Egypt. He's the number two in command. He's developed Operation storehouse. There are hundreds of people that are begging for food and they're buying it. And the guys had the money, uh, but they didn't have the grain. And so he's like the treasury secretary and and the FDA all rolled into one. Now, from their perspective, all they want to do is get in, get out, no problems. But Joseph recognizes them. Look at verses 7 and 8. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. And they said, well, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. This is awesome. Joseph may have been wondering, by the way, that I wonder if my family will have to come and buy land, buy food, because the famine was so widespread. Maybe, just maybe, he was like the father in the, the story of the prodigal son, where he was looking, maybe looking onto the horizon to see if his family would be coming through the line, so to speak. But he does see them come through the line, and immediately recognizes them But he treats them like total strangers. So it begs the question well, why didn't they recognize him? Well, think about it. He was 17 at the time they sold him off to slavery. He may not have been shaving yet. Now it's 22 years later. He's a grown man, he's married, he's 39 years old. He's got kids of his own. These guys were already old when they sold him to slavery, and now they're just older and fatter, and uh, they didn't change much at all. And how how do we get to the 22 years? Here's here's my math. 13 years he spent with Potiphar and time in prison. We don't know exactly how that's all divided up. He's promoted. There's seven years of, of feasting in the land where they're storing up the grain, and most people think it's maybe year two of this famine because people would have been able to live off their warehouses for the first year. Now, the other thing that's different is that his head's shaved. He wears this fake goatee, like all uh, little black goatee that all Egyptian nobility wore. He has the, the fine robes. He speaks fluent Egyptian by that time. So, and probably they just assume maybe he, he, he's dead, you know. They don't know what happened to say. So, they're not even thinking the possibility that they'd ever run into Joseph. Egypt, though, reminds them of guilt. And so, uh, it then begs the question, if Joseph is a type of Christ, which I'm going to maintain that he is, then why is he so harsh with them? Is he just messing with them? I mean, in my flesh, I'd want to mess with my brothers if they had done that to me. I'm talking payback. I mean, that's the ultimate wedgie, so to speak. I mean, that's the, hey, you mess with me, I'm going to mess with you. Uh, But I think it's way more serious than that quite frankly. I think he wants to see if his brothers have changed. They were horrible. They were murderous, treacherous brothers. And maybe he's worried that when Benjamin assumes the role of favored son, that maybe they've knocked off Benjamin as well. So we'll see why he's introduced into the equation just a little bit later. And I'm sure he's wondering, do they have any regrets about what they've done? Clearly by this time, well, you see how Joseph responds that he's worked through his stuff, his anger, his bitterness, his frustration, and he has learned how to trust a faithful God even though There are difficult circumstances. And even though it doesn't show it right here, we're going to see that he lives out that. And that's a great example for us because so often we're stuck in our bitterness and we want revenge and there's somebody who's done us bad and we want to get back and we want to lash out and we want to make it right and we got to get it fixed and it eats us up inside. Well, not Joseph, and we're going to see that proven in just a moment. And so... This is just part of a test that's going to unfold as we look at the text. Now, it says right there at the front end of verse 9, Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. This is just so fun. The bottom line is, remember, he told them the to dream. They said, you dreamer, you crazy nut. Uh, and they, they kind of mocked him. And just think, he's remembering all the way back as a 17-year-old, where that dream that he didn't concoct, that God gave him, was preparation for something that is fulfilled some 22 years later. And I'm pretty sure he's thinking, and you guys thought I was an entitled brat. I'm about to save your lives. Thank goodness that God is good, because it's only because of God's grace in his life and his willingness to forgive that he's able to treat his brothers uh, the way he does. Now you're going to see that maybe he's still messing with them a little bit. Let's see and we'll decide by the time we get to the end. So then there's this rebuke, all right? And he says to them, you are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. In other words, the vulnerabilities of the land. You're, you're wanting to see if, if our borders are secure and maybe this is kind of a little spy invasion under the auspices of getting some food, right? And they said, no, 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 my Lord. Your servants have come to buy food. Well, yeah, that's what everybody was in line for, right? We're all sons of one man. And now Joseph knows for sure. that he's, He knows it already. This is his dad, Jacob. We are honest men. <clears throat> uh, are you sure about that? We'll, we'll check that one out. Your servants have never been spies. And he says to them, no, it's the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And they argue and banter back and forth. And um, he, for the third time, uh, he says, no, you're spies. And so, he's he's making them squirm a little bit. I I don't deny that. And he accuses them of being spies. Now, again, such irony. Remember, uh, back in, in Genesis 37, when I preached last time, uh, Uh, he was accused of being a a little bit of a spy, right? Remember, he gave a bad report. And I'm sure they kind of chided him, oh, daddy's a little spy, you know, ratting us out. Uh, And now uh, it's kind of a play on words here. And I've already explained the nakas of the land. Remember, um, they have to protect their own borders. And he's like in charge of homeland security. So he's supposed to interrogate them, right? He's supposed to do his job. He's supposed to be... Uh, suspicious. Uh, Any of you ever fly uh, to Israel? You know what suspicious is, right? You go through security. If you're flying an El Al to, and I've done it twice, it is the longest interrogation, man. They are going through everything. I'm taking a group of people. We're going to tour the holy sites. Oh my goodness. They are suspicious. And this is the same way. And then I think it's just funny. We're honest men. Really? Really? You (laughs) all yourselves, honest men. They've been doing nothing but deceiving for all these years. Uh, they're not honest. In fact, it's so humorous, they deceived the Shechemites. Uh, they deceived their father about Joseph's bloodstained coat. Judah leads Tamar to believe that she'll be uh, get his third son in marriage, and he had no such intentions. And even here in the next breath, they said, there's one that's no more. They don't know that They don't know what's happened to Joseph. They're anything but honest men. But little do they know that he understands everything they're about to say. And so here's his requirement. He says... By this you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. He wants to see Benjamin, right? Send one of you and let him bring your brother. That means there's nine left behind. Let's see what he's going to do with the nine. While you remain confined and the words that may be tested, whether the truth are in them, by the life of Pharaoh, you are spice. He keeps accusing them and he put them in custody for three days. Oh my, isn't that an unbelievable twist? Ironically, they're going into prison to where? With Potiphar, right? Potiphar. That's where he was imprisoned. And so he throws him into jail, let him sink and soak, right? So to speak, a little taste of their own medicine. And I think there's time for them to reflect. And we're going to see that in their commentary to Joseph in just a little bit. But think about from God's perspective it was a. Pun- it wasn't punishment. It was preparation. That's how you got to think th- through the trials in your life. It's not punishment it is preparation. That's why James 1 says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so, one commentator says it like this. He says, at this point, Joseph put his brothers to the test by afflicting them with what they had done to him. They had oppressed him, now he oppressed them. They had accused him of spying, now he accused them. They had thrown him into the pit, now he tossed them into prison. And most of all, he called them to bring forth their youngest brother, the favored of their father, who now occupied the place in their father's heart that he had once had. So what happens on the third day? Look at verse 18. Joseph says to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. That should have elicited some kind of, huh, what's going on? I fear God? What does that mean? There's a bazillion Egyptian gods. Which one does he fear? And if you look at, do this and you shall live. Friends, isn't that exactly what Jesus says to us? Joseph, as a type of Christ, says this to us. Do this and you shall live. What's that? You shall know the truth and it shall set you free, right? They hadn't understood that lesson. Do this and live. He says this when we come to him in faith, uh, accepting what Christ did on the cross in payment for our sins. And so he says to them, hey, If you're honest men, then one of you are going to remain confined and the rest of you can go back, right? The rest of you can go back. It's like an insurance policy that they'll come back and we'll find out who he leaves behind in just a moment. And so in his mercy, I think something else is going on. He realizes if he sends back only one of Jacob's 12 sons, he's going to have a stroke. He's going to have a heart attack. I mean... And it's going to take all of them to haul the amount of grain that they have purchased to get it back um, uh, to Canaan. And so even while there's kind of discipline for the brothers, uh, he's providing provision for the family. He doesn't know how many kids there are, but like I said previously, there's 66 of them. And so he adjusts the mandate and they're off. And now there is remorse. Look at verse uh, 21 and, and following. And they said to one another... And they admit to these four things. We are guilty. We saw his distress. He begged us. What did he beg? When he's in the pit, he begged us, but we didn't listen. And this is why distress is upon us. See, when you are in prison, you have a chance to think and reflect. And I think this is what happened. This guilt over what they had done to Joseph all those many years earlier was just below their conscious mind. It was kind of gurgling and simmering just beneath the surface. It's a boiling stew of regret and guilt and shame. And their entire adult lives since that point, they've been living a lie and a cover-up. And it's relentless. And it haunted them. And so they process it and they admit what they have done. Friends, for just a moment, maybe you're in that place there's something in your past that's so bad, you just, you can't even think about it. And I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But it, what's, what's the scripture say about this kind of guilt and sin? Look at Numbers 32, 3. But your, be sure your sins will find you out. Or Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And so God began to, to thought, begins to thaw out their, their seared conscience. They come clean. It's awesome. They admit it, and they begin to confess. But little do they know that Joseph has heard that confession. So what's haunting you? What's holding you hostage in your past? I want to suggest to you there might be four things. But there's probably more. If you're really suffering through this, this is serious. Friends, this is serious. As I've reflected on 43 years of ministry, I've done a ton of counseling. And I got to tell you, guilt is one of those things that you want to deal with. You don't want to still carry that around. Maybe you've, you carry shame around. You had an affair, you cheated on your spouse, and now you live with this, will someone, will he or she ever find out? And you live with shame. Even though you've confessed it, maybe. Maybe you've talked about it, but you've never really released it. Or maybe there's regret. You got pregnant out of wedlock. You were supposed to be the good Christian couple. And yet privately and quietly, you had an abortion and you've never forgiven yourself. Or maybe you just feel like a hypocrite because you act like one thing on Sunday, but I'll tell you what, during the week if people saw your life you know it's a lie. You know that you are not the same person. You're two-faced. Or maybe you just lie. You always exaggerate the truth. You make yourself look better. Maybe you've embezzled money from your company and you've tried to cover it up and you've rationalized that. You see, anybody who lives with guilt has to rationalize why they did what they did, otherwise they can't live with themselves. And so they cope maybe you've coped with unhealthy coping mechanisms to deal with your past. Friends, I got to tell you today, this is a day of victory for you. It's time to let go. It's time to forgive. It's time to forget. It's time to confess. It's time for you to do the right thing. And so Reuben answered them and said, didn't I tell you not to sin against this boy? Now, again, Joseph's listening and they have no idea he understands all that they're saying. But you didn't listen. So now there comes this reckoning for his blood and they did not know that Joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them. This is Reuben being the older brother. I told you so, just like the older brother role. I was right. In fact, you know he was gonna to try to rescue him and somehow he gets distracted, he's not around and this plot gets to you know fulfilled and he gets sold off before he can get back and so... I think the guilt-stricken brothers conclude that God is punishing them now. I think it's gone down. He's punishing us for selling their brother Joseph into slavery. And what they don't know is that this little interpreter that's interpreting has caused Joseph to realize maybe his brothers really have changed. Maybe his brothers have an opportunity for redemption. Now, where the analogy breaks down, if Joseph is a type of Christ, God always says there's a chance for redemption. You never have to worry that you have to work your way into his good graces. See, Jesus accepts you right where you are if you'll humble yourself to him. And so there's restraint. What happens? Think about this. This is a powerful moment. The, The camera should zoom in on this shot. Then he turned away from them and wept he, he returned to them and, sp- and now and he, he comes back he returns and spoke to them and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their very eyes look at he shows some restraint but he hears this he leaves the room and he hears this confession and think about all that's gone on in Joseph's life he hasn't seen his family in over 20 years probably 22 years and this is the first of six emotional moments before this is all gonna be over in Genesis chapter 50. And so these are tears of, of compassion for his brothers. They're tears of joy over God's faithfulness. There's tears of release because he can finally forgive them. He, it's tears of thank goodness God has provided provision so that he could be in a place that he could literally rescue his family from certain death. And isn't again that what Christ did for us? He rescues us from certain death. And so years of pent-up emotion are inside of him, and he just has to to let it out. By the way, gentlemen, some of you are kind of like, man, men don't cry. Well, let me tell you what. Jesus wept. wept. He wept over Jerusalem. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. In fact, apparently I've been named as Jeremiah the second. And I know you're amazed. I haven't, I haven't shed a tear uh, yet so far. Well, that, those days will come. And so he wants to reveal himself, but it just isn't the right time. And so he composes himself and matter of fact, he takes Simeon into prison and ties him up and bounds him up right in front of his very eyes. So you ask yourself, well, why Simeon? Wouldn't Reuben be the likely one because he's the oldest and, the, and should have been? Well, he's the second oldest, and he was the guy who was in charge when Reuben was off, and when they hatched the plan uh, to uh, to sell him into slavery, he was the guy who could have stopped it, and he didn't. And so it might take them. By the way, it might take them. Uh, several months, over a year to get back. We don't know how much grain they got, how long it would last. So he's going to sit in Potiphar's jail for quite a long time. And he gets a little taste of what it's like to sit in jail. And so we see through this process, God's plan for restoration. God had never forgotten Joseph. He was going to provide for uh, Jacob's family. And remember, Joseph has a seven-year-old son named Manasseh. He had two kids, Manasseh and Ephraim. And that name means causing to forget. You know what I think is awesome? God helped Joseph forget the pain that was inflicted on him. Maybe not fully, but he certainly was able to forget enough to forgive. And that's hard for us because our pain is so wanting to be vindicated and it's tough but he named his son as a reminder. God will cause it to me to forget, to help me put it in my past. And so we see the return in verses 25 to 28. I won't read it all to you, but what he essentially does is he sends them off and he gives orders to his his uh, workers to fill their sacks with grain and then give them their money back. And uh, probably, um, He paid the debt with his own money. I think he paid it. It wasn't just, because he put their money back. He's not going to rip off Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh say it's no big deal, but he he probably put his own money in there to honor Pharaoh and be above reproach. And they take off. And uh, they're going to have to make two more trips before this whole thing is over. And isn't this again an interesting reminder if Joseph is a type of Christ that Jesus paid our debt. He paid uh, with his life for us. And so on their way home, they stop at one of those stops, maybe who knows when it was along the way, but one of them discovers that the money's been returned and they freak out. In fact, it says at this, their hearts failed them, verse 28, and they turned trembling to one another, what is that God has done to us? I mean, they are dying here. Uh, Remember, uh, it's heart attack time. They've already been accused of being what? Spies. Now they're going to be rung up on charges of being thieves or embezzlers. This is, this, is, this is intense. And so now they see this as a second divine punishment. And yet we just know for sure that this is God's provision. It's his preparation. By the way, it's the first time they mention uh, God. First time the brothers ever mentioned God. Uh, A Calvary Chapel pastor by the name of Dave Guzik says that this was a test, not from Joseph, but from God. And the question is, what are they going to do with the money? And what would be revealed about their heart? And he says this, the deceptive heart would hide it. The lying heart would make up a story about it. The proud heart would think it deserved it. And the superficial heart would think nothing of it. And so I got to tell you, this is a real test of their heart. It's an EKG of where they're really at. And in fact, I got to tell you, friends, when you have unresolved guilt and God provides blessing in your life, sometimes you don't even see it as God's provision because you're so wrapped up of this can't be true. I mean, when's the next shoe going to fall? You know, I don't deserve this. And it goes on and on. And so you assume the worst instead of believing the best about what God could do. Well, in verses 29 to 34, we're not gonna read them. That's the whole, they review the whole thing with, with their father, Joseph, but they essentially just say everything that has just happened, and they tell them about their trip. Every incident in excruciating a detail, except what? What's missing? They do not confess to their father about their guilt, about what they've done, and what they think God has done to them because of what they did to Joseph. They live that little detail out, This idea that they were complicit in Joe's fake death, so to speak. And by the way, no one, you know, suggests, well, we better go back and give the money back. By the way, something like this happened to me recently. I was playing golf over at Calabasas Country Club with some folks from the church, and I get to the eighth hole, and in the sand trap is a $100 bill with two ones just laying there in the sand trap. And I said, praise God, he has provided for my golf today. And I and I said, this is awesome, and I show people, hey, I got this money, this is crazy. And then I got to thinking, somebody probably just were pulling their tea out of their pocket and out comes this cash or somehow it fell out of their pocket and they're gonna be heartsick about this. So at the end of the round, I go back and uh, I talk to the, the pro shop and I said, hey, I found $102, here's my name, here's my phone number, um, if someone claims it, I'd be glad to give it to you. In fact, I'll just, give it, I'll, I'll, I'll just give it to you if you want. And they said, no, hang on to it. Probably no one will know. Uh, they didn't say that. They just said like, uh, who knows? But thanks, thanks for being honest. And then it dawned on me. There were some like really bad golfers in front of us and they, fin- they let us play through on the 10th or 11th hole. And I got to think and I said, what if one of these guys did it? Because they clearly didn't know how to golf, and apparently they didn't know how to hang on to their own money. So I drove back, and I said to the guys, they were still out on the course, we were long gone, and I said, hey, did one of you lose something important? And, and they looked around like, what do you mean? And I said, well, like, maybe some money. I didn't give them the amount. And one guy said, yeah. He goes, I lost $102. And I walked up. And I hand him, and you should have seen his face. He could not believe it. And it felt so good to do the right thing, right? I would have been blessed to have it, but I knew it wasn't mine. And I wonder if these guys had any sense of that uh, because they don't know yet that all their money's been returned, but at least one of the guys has had their money returned. But that's not on the table. And so we see the riches in verses 35 And as they emptied their sacks, we every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, bundles, a.k.a. oodles, like, oh my goodness, they were afraid. You know, the bottom line is they unload, and it had been easy to not know that all of them, because there were probably 40 bags of grain, only 10 of the bags had, had money in it, you know. And so, when you are living in guilt, I've said it before, I'll say it again, you don't see... Provision as God's blessing, you see it as a curse, and so God is so gracious on us, right? Romans five eight. In while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He lavishes His grace, and so that's what happened. And by the way, He gives the money back because you know He doesn't know how what their economic state is. He's got to have money for them to come back that second time and to get back to get some uh, Simeon and to bring Benjamin. Now. Verse 36, now Jacob said, their father said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you take Benjamin and this has come against me. You see, the guilt had held the brothers captive, their guilt, but what we haven't seen until now is how deep-seated Jacob's fear and this idea of coping and how he could ever cope with losing another son after he'd lost Joseph, he's completely stuck in the fear mode, completely stuck in the fear mode. And so, uh, even so much so that he'd rather the whole family perish than sending Benjamin back and risking his life And clearly he's still that helicopter dad playing favorites. Then Reuben said to his father, well, kill my two sons if if I don't bring them back to you and and put them in my hands and and I'll bring them back to you. I mean, that's a really stupid idea, Reuben. Let's knock off some grandkids. Yeah, that, that makes no sense, all right? And so then in verse 38, we conclude with this. And he said, my son, you shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. What are we, mincemeat? He's the only one left, right? If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs, I got a few of them, with sorrow to Sheol. He couldn't stand one more loss. He is gripped in fear. It's going to affect his his stubbornness is going to affect the whole family. And so they're at a stalemate. And so I'm going to leave you at a cliffhanger here. Well, what's going to happen? Well, Scott will have to solve that next week, won't he? Because you'll hear the final installment of Plot Twist next week. How is this going to be resolved? How will Benjamin be allowed to get to Egypt? What's going to happen? Oh, you don't want to miss next week. And so I want to wrap up by suggesting there there are four characters and four lessons, and I'll be very brief. Number one, there's 10 brothers. What's the lesson for the 10 brothers? The cure for unresolved guilt is confession. The cure for unresolved gift, uh, guilt is confession. You got to get it out in the open. You got to be transparent. And you got to tell the truth. First John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number one, does somebody need to confess today? That's the question. Number two, maybe you identify with Jacob. Jacob's fear, like most people's fear, is rooted in this fact that no one wants to admit to that you just can't trust God with your life. And it comes out in whether you can trust him for your family or your possessions, your livelihood, your house. We know he's the ultimate helicopter parent and that loss of a child is huge, not minimizing that, but we know Someone said 350 times fear knots in the Bible. No. So I did a study during COVID that first month, about 200, a little over 200 times, but it's still a lot. And do you believe, bottom line, does God have your best interests at heart? Do you believe he's a God of provision or he's just a God of punishment? Is he the cosmic killjoy or is he the loving savior? Is he the one who sent his son to die on the cross to pay for the penalty of your sin Or is he not? And if he did all that, can he not handle your situation? Or thirdly, maybe you feel like Joseph. And most people say, yeah, he's the hero of the story. Time out. No, he is not the hero of the story. In fact, what we know in any Old Testament narrative that God, Christ, Jesus, is the hero of the story. He represents, he's a type, what we call typology. and we see him showing grace when his brothers don't deserve it. We see him taking care of his family and, and providentially providing because of his promotion. And so Joseph's ability to see God's sovereign hand at work in his life is unbelievable. It's remarkable. I think I would just have been a bitter old man wanting vengeance and I'd take it out on, on those brothers. But that's What's amazing? He turned potential bitterness, disappointment, betrayal, hurt, and abandonment to forgiveness. And he was patient for 22 years in trusting God for a bigger plan. And so uh, he understood Genesis 15, uh, 50 20. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. How many evil aka difficult things that happen in your life that somebody did to you and then somehow some way God redeemed it? give God time to complete the story of your life, especially the painful chapters that you still don 't understand what is God doing and so I would just summarize rise that um, if if Joseph hadn't gone through all that he had done and been through, uh, Romans eight twenty eight, amen. It, I it would just be a, a, a kind of a platitude. All God works all things together for good. And so Joseph came from a messed up family. He was sold as a slave. But if he hadn't been sold as a slave, um, uh, he would have never ended up in Egypt. He had never gone to Egypt. He would never been sold to Potiphar. Uh, if Joseph never had been sold to Potiphar and Potiphar's wife would have never falsely accused him, he wouldn't have ended up in jail. If he hadn't ended up in prison and put into prison, he'd never met the baker and the butler. If he had never met the baker and the butler, he would never interpret the dreams. If Joseph never interpreted the dreams, he would never interpret Pharaoh's dream. If Joseph never interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he never would have become prime minister and number two in all the land. And if Joseph never became prime minister, he never would have wisely prepared for the terrible famine to come. And if Joseph never had prepared for the terrible famine or didn't trust God, then his family back in canaan would have died in the famine and if Joseph's family back in canaan had died in the famine then the messiah could not have come from a dead family and if the messiah did not come forth then jesus never came and if jesus never came then we are all dead in our sins without hope in the world that my friends is an unbelievable transformational set of events i love to say that that's unique to me Uh, But it's from a pastor by the name of Dave Guzik, again, who gave me that insight. Thank you so much for being able to preach. Now, you say, hey, 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 on your notes, you have one more. Oh, yeah, you're right. You see, there's a fourth character in the story. It's us. And I want to conclude with this. For us today, would you remember this? Of all the things that I could think about in uh, wrapping up this sermon, I want to give you this phrase. Circumstances don't cause your character, they reveal it. You see, the takeaway today for you is, friend, if God's at work in your life, don't whine and moan and, and complain about your circumstances. Think about all that Joseph went through. See, it was preparing him, it was changing his character, it was uh, making him solid, it made him stronger. And those circumstances didn't cause his character, it revealed his character. And that was why he was ready for God's call when when his family needed him the most. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text. May you help us apply it to our lives. And whether we're dealing with fear or guilt or shame or bitterness or the need to forgive, may we see that you're the ultimate lover of our soul and that you find provision in our pain, and that you will carry us through, and that we can't let circumstances define who we are, but it just reveals who we are. And so, Lord, in this last few words of this message, may the people of ABF and all who listen to this know that they are loved and that God has a plan for their life, no matter how difficult their life has been and how much pain. In Jesus' name, Amen.
2: Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never failed me yet, waiting for
1: change to come, knowing the battles won,
2: for you have never. still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my
0: Thanks again, ABF Online. It's been a privilege to open God's Word to you today. You got to come back. You got to listen to the last installment next week. Have a fantastic week.